0: All right, let's look at our scripture as we continue through the book of Galatians and we're looking at Galatians 2:11 through 21. 2:11 through 21 and it involves a conflict between Paul and the apostle Peter. But when Cephas, Paul, excuse me, Peter came to Antioch, I opposed, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." The Word of the Lord. I was in a doctor's office recently. I have a variety of maladies that continue to plague me, such as my broken finger from the Cherokee missions trip. Oh, it's not broken. Oh yes, but it is. Uh, and I was, I was assaulted by the number of uh, uh, TVs that were around me. Uh, there were so many TVs and, and it was so much noise and, and I hearkened back to the days of my youth when life was much more simpler in the doctor's office. There were really only two things. One, a fish tank. All doctor's offices had fish tanks, right? because you had to stare at something, and there wasn't the Today Show, so you just sort of stared at that fish tank, and it was enough. It was enough for our simple little minds back then. But there was also a magazine known as Highlights Magazine. Is anybody with me on Highlights Magazine? Okay, there were a variety of little things in Highlights magazine, you know, there there were coloring pages, and there were other things that you could keep yourself occupied, you did not have your $500 iPhone X to play with back then, it was just a piece of paper, and one of the things that I loved was the connect the dots. Okay, it was a page, it was partially filled, but you weren't exactly sure what the picture was, and you connected the dots, and by the time you were done, connected the dots, you had a full picture, you understood what it was supposed to be, and then, of course, it was time to go into the doctor. Now, why am I bringing this up in this sermon? Absolutely no reason whatsoever, I just wanted you to share in my youth. No, that's not true. Why I'm bringing that up is because you have a classic case here Of a failure to connect the dots. And what I mean by that is to take the gospel and to work it out into every single aspect of our lives. In this case, Peter, the apostle, forgetting what the gospel is about, how it affects and moves into every aspect of his life, even the way that he eats. And if Peter, the apostle, can make this mistake, Then surely we too we can also as well. In fact, most of the challenges, the difficulties in our life come from the fact that we do not connect the dots as to the implications of the gospel and how they play themselves out in every aspect of our lives. Well, how do we remedy that? We do exactly what this passage does. We do exactly what Paul does with Peter. Number one, we start with the truth. We have to start with the truth of the gospel and all that it means for our lives. But number two, we have to stay in the truth. It's not enough that we got it this time. The gospel, we have to continually preach to ourselves the truth of the gospel. And we have to massage it into every aspect of our lives until it's there. Finally, we have to look to the cross. For it is in the cross that the reality of the, Christ, uh, the, of the gospel comes home to us again and again and again. Because you may have the gospel, but the question we have to answer today is, does the gospel have you? That's what we're going to unpack today. So let's begin with point number one. We have to start with the truth. There's a controversy that has been brewing in the church at Galatia, Right? Paul went to the church of the Galatians, he preached the gospel, people believed, and he organized a church, and he set it in motion, and then he continued on in other journeys and set leadership in place. But these other people have come in. They're called those of the circumcision party. We also call them Judaizers. And these Judaizers, there's something we need to know about this circumcision party. The first is, that they believed in Jesus Christ. They weren't Jews who were separating themselves from Christ, condemning Christ. They actually believed in Jesus Christ. They believed in the resurrection. They believed he was the Messiah. However, they also believed in the necessity of the Jewish laws. Remember, there were three types of Jewish laws. There was the civil law, There was the moral law, and there were the ceremonial laws, such as the eating, the dietary laws, and so forth. And so, there were essentially two orders in conflict. The church's order, of which Peter was originally a part of, he was a part of, not originally, and there was the circumcision party. The circumcision party essentially said this, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and you obey the law, you will be saved. At the end of their life, you will receive salvation. You believe and you obey the law and you combine those things together and you will be saved. But the gospel, the church, the message that was delivered by Paul was different. The order was different. It was you if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in him, you will be saved. And then you obey. See the difference? If you believe the first one, the Judaizers believe and obey, you will be saved. And Paul in the gospel, believe and you will be saved and then you obey. Now you think that's just switching two words. But there's a world of difference between those two words. You see, for the circumcision party, for the Judaizers, it's essentially this. I obey so that I will be loved and accepted by God. And for the gospel, it's I am loved and accepted by God Therefore, I obey." Now think about the difference between those two, because in the end it affects everything. The first group are acting with totally different motivations, right? What's the motivation? I obey so I will be loved and accepted by God. They're living out their Christian life, if you will. But what is driving their Christian life? It's fear. It's anxiety, isn't it? If I don't obey yes I have Jesus Christ but if I don't obey I'm not going to be loved and accepted by God and so I'm going to go about my day my Christian day doing Christian things but in the pit of my heart there is fear and there's anxiety additionally what is the primary motivation for which they're doing these things is it for the love of God no the answer is it's for selfishness because if you're obeying if you're doing something in order to get something you're acting selfishly See, they're they're not really loving God or loving their neighbor they just want to be saved because they're afraid they're not going to because they don't really know whether they have the love of God or not and so there's a selfishness to their obedience, even if it looks great on the outside. Think of the other motivations, the other issues. Is there any joy in obeying and following the Lord? Not if every moment it's a test, if I don't know if I'm passing or not. There's no joy in their hearts. And living out the Christian life is a burden, not freedom. But think about the people who, the Gospel itself. If it's, I'm loved and accepted by God, therefore I obey. See, if you've already received acceptance, if you've already received the favor of God, if you've already received the blessing of God, intimacy with God, obeying is a joy. Not because I have to, right? But because I get to, because I want to. I can live out my Christian life with a full heart. See, I'm not really in it for myself because I've already received everything that I want. And so I can love and obey for God's sake. And I can love and obey my neighbor for my neighbor's sake not simply for my sake. A switch of two words and yet a world of difference. The truth of the matter is we see this all the time, don't we? Have you ever run across what I call the joyless Christian? He's sort of a caricature. He shows up on TV all the time. He's doing, going through the motions or she's going through the motions and living out Christianity and yet there's a face that's drawn and sallow. There's a grumpiness, if you will, in their life. There's no joy. There's no happiness whatsoever. Now we all go through challenging difficult times. I'm not saying that this is all about having a smile on your face. But we've also run across Christians That are just in it for the joy of it. There's a freedom to them. There's an openness to love God with all their hearts and their neighbor as themselves. What's the difference? The difference is the order of things. It's not I believe and obey the law and I'll then be saved. It's I believe And because I believe I'm saved, and because I'm saved, therefore I obey. Now I want you to think about this. You have two people, maybe sitting together at a church. They look the same. They may even be living out kind of the same kind of life. And yet they're very, very different motivations. Every other religion is based on if you believe and obey, you will be saved. And the truth of the matter is many Christians, in fact I would even say most Christians, belong to the circumcision group. It's Christ and something else. The truth of the matter, my friends, is very, very, very rarely do you find a person that starts out in group number two. Because we have been so conditioned by this world that you are what you do, you are what you have, you are what other people think about you, that we receive Jesus Christ and we add him into our collection of things that we have to do. See, there has to be a breakthrough from one to the other, when the the shoe drops, if you will, when you finally recognize and realize the reality that Christ is everything, that He is enough. See, I think Paul was one of those few people that got it right from the beginning because he had spent so long under the law that when he heard the graciousness of Jesus Christ and that it was by faith and not and faith alone that he held on to that with all of his grip look at what he says in verse 15 and 16 we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. I don't know if you remember the story of old Martin Luther. I've talked about him uh, a lot. And Martin Luther believed in Jesus Christ, but was most certainly of the circumcision group. He started out just like a lot of us do, just like almost all of us. It's Christ and something else. But Paul came acor- across the verse in Romans, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed by f- from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And it stymied Martin. He couldn't figure it out. What does it mean that there is this righteousness that is by faith, from faith to faith? What does it mean that the righteous shall live by faith? See, to Martin Luther, the righteousness of God meant that you compiled a righteous record after coming to Christ and you brought it to his feet. And it was your righteousness that, that, that made you accept it or not. But slowly... The Holy Spirit began to do a work in his life and he began to understand that Paul here was speaking of a righteousness that God in his grace was making available to those who would receive it passively not achieve it actively and when Martin Luther realized that the righteousness by which he was saved was not his it was Christ's righteousness an alien righteousness he wrote In his journal, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Spirit, and the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked through. Now, he wasn't born again, again. What it means is he finally realized it. The shoe dropped. And so my question for you, and for me today, is this. Have you gotten it? Has the shoe dropped in your life? Which is it that motivates your life? I obey, so I will be loved and accepted by God? Or I am loved and accepted by God, therefore I obey. See here's a couple of ways that you can know what's first in your Christianity. Is it me or is it him? Who do I think of? Who am I obsessed with? Who am I dominated with? The list of religious rules that I have to do? The things that I have to get through? Or is it Him? What He's done? Who He is? How He's in my life? Is it me or Him or is it me or we? Him in my life, working out His righteousness. How about this, what is it that motivates you? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is my Christianity joyless and a burden that I have to carry? And every night when I go to sleep the ball rolls down from the top of the hill and I wake up and I have to begin again pushing to the top? Or is there joy in my life that comes from a full heart of knowing that Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst? And so I can love people just for my neighbor's sake. I can obey God just because I want to, just because He's great and He loved me. See, what Paul is saying and what I am saying is we have to start with the truth. We have to hear the gospel and hold on to the gospel so that the shoe drops and that we begin with the truth. We connect the dots, if you will, starting with the truth that it begins at the cross. Well, this brings me to my second point. We not only have to start with the truth, we have to stay in the truth. See, we have to ask the question, what happened to peter i mean peter went off the rails here with this one didn't he we're talking about an apostle of jesus christ who three years stayed in the presence of jesus christ and was taught and yet he is clearly in the air here what happened notice in verse 11 and 12 but when peter came to antioch i opposed him to his face because he stood condemned For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. All right, we need to unpack this a little bit so that we can understand it. Remember, Peter grew up as a Jew, and as a Jew, there were certain laws that were in place. And we're talking here about the ceremonial laws, the dietary laws. See, God set these laws into place for these Jewish people and said, you are to be a people unto me and you are to obey these laws. They separate you, if you will, from the rest. But over time, they began to believe that these laws were the things that made them better than other people. In other words, if I'm following these laws, these are the laws that make me clean. And the Gentiles, well, they don't, obey these laws, these aren't God's people, and so these are the unclean people, right? We're better, they're worse, and it became a way to justify themselves, to make themselves feel good about who they were. But of course these dietary laws never fully atone for sin, in the same way that all of those sacrifices never fully atone for sin, because they had to do them again, and again, and again. But finally, the one that all of these laws were pointing to came, to came to earth, Jesus Christ. He said, all of these sacrificial laws, they all point to me. And all of becoming clean inside and outside, they all, the, all of these dietary laws, they point to me as well. Remember in Mark 7 where Jesus declares all foods clean. And so Peter knew that. He'd heard Jesus even say that. But you see, this was his weak spot, his past. Even though he was new in Christ, there still is that temptation to be pulled back into the old way of living. And so when the circumcision group came along and said, Yes, yes, all about Jesus Christ is true. But remember, you're clean. And you're eating with these unclean people. Don't neglect your birthright. And Peter heard that. And he forgot. And so he fell back and separated himself from the Gentiles. And Paul was ticked when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And these are the key words. Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Peter had failed to continue to work out the implications of the gospel into all areas of his life. See, we fall into this trap where we think of the gospel just dealing with salvation, right? It's the ABCs of Christianity. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then we want to move on, right, to more higher, deeper stuff. We want more meat. We want more theological training and depth. We don't realize that the Gospel is not something you look to. It's something that you look through. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. And the Christian life is about working out the implications of the Gospel in every single nook and cranny of our life. Because the gospel is the key to freedom in all areas of our life as we work it out into every aspect of our life. And so let's take Paul's situation, let's take it as a test case, if you will. Okay, Paul understood this, but as the Judaizers came along, he began to look at the Gentiles in a different way. They were his brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. They were his equals. He loved them. But then he began, without working the implication of the gospel, into his relationship with them, Paul began to be racist toward the Gentiles. It's a strong word, isn't it? It's the truth. Right? You all are not clean. And I am. And therefore I'm going to separate myself. Why? Because I'm better than you are because I have these laws. If Paul, excuse me, if Peter was in line with the gospel. If he was thinking in line with the gospel as regards to his where he ate and who he associated with. Well, what would he hear? I don't need to compare myself to anyone else. I'm already the favored son of Jesus Christ. He loves me. He died for me. There's not one thing that I can add to my salvation. And you know what? I'm not any better than these people right here. Because it's not because of my laws or my my obedience to the gospel that makes me better than anyone. It's just because of the sovereign grace and love of Jesus Christ. And you know what? What that means is I can sit with them. Indeed, I can serve them. I can love them. I can accept them because of what Christ has done in my life. See, the truth of the matter is a lot of the problems that we have in the church and in our own personal lives is that we have failed to connect the dots of the gospel into how we work, into who we date, in the self-image that we have, in the community that we live in, in our sexuality, in our thoughts, in what we read, in every single aspect of our life. You know, when you play the tape back uh, in the uh, 40s and 50s, indeed our own denomination has a horrible record in the past regarding issues of racism. And I look back upon that and I think of the PCA and I'm going, you guys knew Jesus Christ. You loved Jesus Christ. How could you treat people as if they were things? Well, that's the way the culture treated them. That's the way I treated them before I came to Jesus Christ. And they didn't massage the gospel and work out its implications into every single aspect. But I tell you one who did. William Wilberforce. Right? William Wilberforce, as he walked by those slave ships, said, wait a second. If Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, how can I just walk by and not do something about the plight of these people? See, when we when we connect the dots of the gospel into every aspect of our lives, we can live without fear. We can live with freedom. We can live with boldness. Why? Because the work is already done. And so what would we do? We just go out and live. Love Jesus Christ and go out and live. And so you and I need to take stock of our life. Where in our life are we not acting in line with the Gospel? Are you dating someone right now? Has the Gospel worked itself into the aspects? I don't need to put all of my worth on this person. I don't need to put all my trust. I can love them freely. I can love them sacrificially without being subsumed by them. Why? Because my life is in Jesus Christ. What about in your work? I can do my work for the glory of God. But I'm not beholden to my boss. I'm not beholden to the chain upon which I have to walk up. I don't have to live by everyone else. Why? Because my righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And so I can serve others and I don't have to be self-focused. I can be Christ-focused and other-focused. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Because you may have the gospel, but does the gospel have you? This brings me to my final point. Well, that's all great and all, Carlos, but if it can happen to Peter, and I don't think any of us are going to reach the rarefied heights of Peter's experience with Jesus Christ, how do I stop it from happening with me? I think this is the secret of Christianity. Verse 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now in one sense, this verse makes zero sense. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. Well, wait a second. You just said that you were crucified with Christ and you no longer lived. And then he says, and the life I now live in the flesh. So we do continue to live, but something has changed. The life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, my eyes are no longer on myself. My eyes are on the cross. You know, all of this without the cross becomes very theoretical. I have a hard time holding on to it, if you will. It's like oil that slips through my hands. I can't hold on to it. But when I look to the cross, when I look to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect One, who gave His life for me on that cross on Calvary, I can see that the righteousness of God in Christ is given to me through the love of Christ and my sins were placed on his shoulders that day. When I look to the cross, everything becomes real and it becomes vivid and it becomes true. My friends, if we want to start with the truth and we want to stay with the truth, we have to start our days at the cross. I think we either start our days with the boulder pushing it up the hill or we start our days at the cross. And the cross was at the top of the hill, wasn't it? Because in Him, all of the greatness, all of the love, all of the freedom of God lives for me. My prayer for you is that you would start connecting the dots, massaging out the implications. See you can hear me preach ad nauseum, right? And I stress the word nauseam. But the reality is, unless you leave here and begin to take what I've said and work it out into the various aspects of your life, it's not going to do you any good. It's a great sermon, but it stays right here. God wants the gospel to radiate out into every single aspect of your life. Start with the truth, stay with the truth. And look to the cross. The cross is the key that helps us to stay in the truth. God not only wants us to have the gospel, He wants the gospel to have us. And so do I. So by God's grace, let's do it. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you that this gospel never stops. It never ends. It works itself into every nook and cranny of our life. Give us courage. Give us hope to work out the implications of the gospel into every single aspect of our life. Let it do a work in us to transform us and change us into your likeness, that we may be bold ambassadors and servants of you, not because we have to, but because we get to. I pray all of this in Christ's name.